Welcome to Into the Mythic. I'm Leanne O'Donnell, and this is the second episode in a new podcast series about Irish mythology and folklore. I'm with Polo Coleman. Polo is a poet, a musician, an artist, and a lover of Irish mythology. And we're coming to you from a small village on the southwest coast of Ireland. Through storytelling and conversation, we're trying to get back to the beating heart of our ancient myths. Last week, we explored the story of a king with a dreadful secret and a willow tree that released the hidden truth with the help of a musician. This week, we'll be staying with the theme of trees and woodlands by looking at the story of Sweeney, the king who was turned into a bird. Parts of Sweeney's story are very old indeed, but it's thought that the version we have now was first written down in medieval Ireland, around the 12th century AD. During this period of Irish history, Christianity was really thriving. Monasteries were flourishing and becoming wealthier, and along with that gaining great power and influence. It was a time when the old ways, many of which had coexisted with Christianity since the time of the early missionaries like St. Patrick, were being supplanted by the new order. Sweeney was the king of Dalriada, a kingdom that encompassed the western seaboard of Scotland and what we now call County Antrim in Northern Ireland. He was a man of wealth and standing, and his fall from grace was quite spectacular. I found this quite a magical story. It's about metamorphosis, about a man being transformed into a bird. And it has some really deep messages for me about the challenge for human beings of finding a place between the wilderness and civilization. It may be set over a thousand years ago, but for me it has some very pertinent resonances about the challenge of being a human today about how to honour our inner wildness and the wild world around us, while at the same time living in an increasingly complex and controlled world. The madness of King Sweeney, as it's called, he represents in the story the the old order um, and the new religion was coming in at this stage and he resisted the new religion. He... He hates he hates the the new priests the new the new the new form of religion and re, sort of rebels or, or certainly resists it. One day he's absolutely outraged. He's lying in bed with his wife, and he hears hammering and sawing, and he he's so angry that he just throws on his his cloak around him. He's naked, leaves leaves the bed, and races to find out what it is. And he finds, as his suspicion was, that it's a, 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 a cleric who's arrived in the area who had asked him for some land called Ronan, who's building a church, cutting down his trees to build a church. So he beats him soundly. He gets the holy book, uh, the Bible, throws it into a, into a nearby lake. As he's doing this, the cloak falls off him, and, and so he's naked and beating this this <laughs> hapless cleric. And his wife comes and drags him off because she understands the the new order a bit better, and she she pulls him off. And uh, a knotter, the story tells us, uh, rescues the book and brings it to Ronan. And Ronan, bleeding and and injured and angry, pulls himself up onto his knees and in a fit of an early, an early showing of, of Christian um, forbearance, he brings down a curse on, on Sweeney. And he says, you know, you came to me like a, like a naked beast. You can live like a beast. With the curse then, he turns, he, depending on the version of the story, he either turns Sweeney into a bird or Sweeney believes he's turned into a bird. And... The effect really is, is the same, <laughs> whether you're turned into a bird or whether you just believe it. 
Sweeney then ha- has to leave people because birds don't live with people, they're wild. So he leaves and he lives in the woods and he lives off of berries and off leaves and off watercress. And at different times he's, he covers the whole of Ireland and different people meet him and see him. At one stage his wife uh, has him caught and brought home but they have to keep him in a cage like a wild bird because he just, and even though he loves her he just can't stay because he needs to get away. And there's one very sad bit in the. It's a big, long poem, beautifully translated by Seamus Heaney at one stage, actually. But he's sitting up in the tree and he's looking in the bedroom, uh, his own bedroom, and his wife is with a lover. And he understands that she's not going to just wait for him, but it breaks his heart, but he can't go in, he can't approach her. And he has his human form, but he's all covered in mud and sticks and bits of feathers to keep himself warm. And he just has to sadly go away. It's such an amazing story in lots of ways. I mean... The kind of one part of it is this conflict between the old order and the new order and who gets to tell the stories. You know, the victor gets to tell the stories. Exactly. So in this story, the curse of the incoming saint was more powerful than Sweeney's power. Yes. Yeah. And so he was therefore he was the, the one who suffered. He yeah, was the, the one old who, magic is defeated. In yeah. This one. But in the other way, it's also an incredible insight into this um this incredible ability to change shape and to metamorphize because he got to then be part of these woodlands. He yes. got to go and live in this wild form. Yeah. There must have been good things about that. I mean, as well as the longing, looking back in at the wife and the human life he can't have, there must have been an amazing freedom in, in that too. There must have been. And also we're, we're reading the, you know, the, the, as you say, the victor's version. So if somebody thinks that the old order, well, they have to believe the old order is beneath them, is less than they are, um, that the people are more, barbar- more barbaric and so on. So, so uh, you know, to me, to live in the woods like, like that, that sounds like a really nice way to do it. I mean, I'm not sure I could manage it, but, but it certainly appeals to me on a, on a certain level. Me too, actually. So when I hear that, I think, is that a curse or a blessing yes. to get to go and believe that you're really part of that ecosystem. Yes. I look at that and think that sounds like not a bad way to spend a few years. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> a bit lonely for his family and his wife, but... I mean, she had a lover. Uh, well, and they, they chose not to go with him, I suppose, as well. You know, we, we need, we're not able to explore the background of the story because we're, we're just given, well, there are a couple of versions, but we're given a version written by, as we say, the, the victors. And actually, even with it, back to coming back to Woods, uh, one of the one of the reasons he's banished as well is uh, the the army are being mustered. Uh, his his king, his the the a lord higher than him calls him um, calls on him to to fulfil his duties, obligations, and bring soldiers uh, to to fight a battle against a rival king. So he turns up with his people, and there is the bold Ronan with a bell, and the bell. The, the the Christian bell. He hates the sound of it because uh, it's it just it's it's unnatural. And actually, when we think of bells nowadays, it's all the ding 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 the beautiful bells. But uh, we weren't we didn't have the uh, ability to cast bells in Ireland at that stage. So bells were made out of metal, but uh, they were very crude and very rough, and they just had kind of a clanking clanking. It was more like tin can sound so maybe he just hated that sound it was it was unmusical to him but he took his spear which was made of ash as all spears are uh, because it's long and true and straight and he flings it and it goes through the bell and through the man who was ringing it and through a couple of other monks who were behind him so he kills a line of people wow with the spear so the power of the ash spear 
penetrates right through the bell of the Christianity. Bell, the bell of Christianity and and the, the purveyors of Christianity. Wow. There's something very significant in that, there isn't there? Is. Paul, I want to go back, if we can, to what Sweeney's lived experience in the woods was like. Um, what was it like for him to be in the woods? Do we know, how can we evoke what his experience was like? Well, he spent seven years in the wilds um, and he lived hand to mouth. He lived on watercress and berries and leaves and uh, he mentions all kinds of things which nowadays we wouldn't consider edible, but uh, he he loved them uh, and at times had, had battles of wits with people uh, who were picking his crests or picking the berries. Um, there was one cleric, for instance, and uh, they had a big uh, set to uh, verbally and there was another woman at another stage. But he he uh, quite often... He, he he waxes lyrical and poetic when the times are really hard, uh, when there's snow on the ground, when he's torn by brambles and, and uh, briars and so on, and he's bleeding and cold and hurt and hungry and feeling it all, and it overwhelms him. And I suppose, like everybody, you write your best poetry when you're feeling miserable. But at other times, he writes about the beautiful places and uh, his favourite places, and they were scattered... Uh, not only around this country, but over in Scotland and down through Britain. Um, and he talks about the beauty of the birds singing in the trees and uh, the, the the greenness of the grass and the hillsides and the mountains and how beautiful they were. So there's a sense that he really lived as a wild creature in that when you speak about the battle for resources, the trying to find the food and the shelter, this is there's a real wildness to it, isn't there? There is a wildness. And at one stage he went to a place uh, in his own former territory and it was a kind of Glown and Yalt kind of place a place where the mad uh, convened and came and it was very sheltered and, and full of, of all kinds of uh, shelters and caves and, and lots of food and there were lots of other mad people there um, I'm using this term you know, from, from, from the poem itself uh, and, and they not exactly fought with, with each other but tried to outdo each other to get to the food source to get the best um, places to sleep and so on I'm thinking, you know, it's interesting you use the word mad and what's clear, I think, in the narrative is that Sweeney has been exiled from civilization. He's been exiled from um, how you live in groups. He's been sent away. But you say that he, he's, he goes to woods all over Ireland and Scotland. So his, his territory or his range is quite extensive, but he just has to be in the woods, is it? He's just, he has to stay away from people. Um, and of course, at that stage, like this, we're talking about the fifth century, the middle of the of the fifth century, uh, and so it, the whole countryside and um, large parts of Britain would have been covered in in woodlands. So he just was avoiding people, and the best place to avoid people in those days was to go into the the depth of the woods. Wow. It's quite extraordinary. It's really extraordinarily vivid idea that you have to forsake the human settlement and go into this wildness. And this was his curse. It was his curse. And yet, how much of that was, is our modern interpretation of that or the slant put on it by, by the people who eventually, hundreds of years later, wrote down, reinterpreted the story and, and committed it to paper or parchment or vellum or whatever it was uh, because for for the for the grail back then in, in that era you know most of their poetry is about nature and being out in nature and the the lays of the fianna 
those poems about the Fionn McCool and 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 his band of Fianna. They they lived outside most of the time. Uh, you know, they went. They had their their dunes and forts where they they visited and stayed. But mainly, they were out on the hillsides, loving nature, being part of nature, hunting, fishing, lying on you know hillsides in the sunshine and so on. Yeah, I think when you speak about um, him waxing lyrical about the times of hardship, that kind of evokes it quite well. It's that sense that when you're in these extreme situations, you feel very alive. So there's this, the hardship is, um, it makes people, it makes him feel alive. It makes him feel connected. Yeah. So he doesn't have the comforts of civilization, but he has maybe this um, opened up sensitivity to what it is to be alive. Exactly. And actually, at one stage, he visits his wife um, and she is with um, another man. Um, and his, the other man was also uh, a contender for the kingship that which uh, Sweeney had had before his unfortunate lapse. And uh, she's with him and he, he calls to her and begins a conversation, but he's sitting in a tree outside her window and she tries to inveigle him in, but he won't be fooled because he's been caught before and held and manacled and chained. Uh, it, it, I suppose in an effort to cure him for his own good well-meaning but he doesn't want this like like a wild thing he wants to get away but he's speaking with her and he's saying um you know you promised that you'd be with me and I do understand that you're with him but you know what about all those those times we were together and all the love we had and she she says I'd gladly go with you now if you'd let me but he doesn't want her to be there because he can't be with anybody that's really complicated. I mean, imagine going out with him. So he's coming and he's saying, <laughs> you know, you think he's, he's saying, um, remember all the love, but you can't come with me either. Yes. And I can't stay. Oh, that'd be torture. <laughs> he's like a, a teenager in an emo band or something, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I just want the hardship, the pain. But I've just come to tell you that yeah, into yeah, your window. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and now I'll go and write a poem about yes, it. Yes, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Oh. Golly, yeah. Oh, that 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 sounds really difficult for the wife. I have to say, in that moment, though, the fact that she's with the new king is, uh, or at least the other contender for the kingship. Is... Yeah, and then later on, she does. She tires of it all um, when he he turns up towards the end of his life, and she says, "Just just leave. There are too many people around here who'd be embarrassed to see you, and it'd be too much of a of an embarrassment." That's the word she she uses. So so he he leaves. We haven't really talked much about, was he a bird? You said at the very beginning he was either a bird or he believed himself to be a bird. Have you, can you expand on that a little bit? It's hard to say because in there are a few versions of this story and in all of them he is cursed to become like a bird, to fly away like the spear that broke on the bell, to fly off and to be confined to the woods. And all the way through it, that, so he, initially at the Battle of, of, of Marath, he, he uh, um, elevates, he... Levitates. levitates. He levitates and flies off. Um, and at a couple of other period, uh, times in the story, he levitates. And most of the time he can leap from one side of a valley or a ground to the other. He can leap from tree to tree. So it's very uh, much bird-like in that sense. And then when he has the battle, uh, the leaping battle with, with the, the old crone who draws him back from his sanity his newfound refound sanity back uh, into into mad, into his madness again uh, in the uh, midway through the story um, they leap all across the country and she ends up leaping to her death from off the cliffs at Dunseverick a huge high cliff there and in, in, up in Antrim um, and at a very late stage in the story he he mentions uh, in the course of a poem that this was before my feathers grew so so, 
That's fascinating. <laughs> Did he have feathers? We don't know. Or was he, was he becoming a bird? Yeah. Was this yeah. part of his becoming? Yes, it, it, it could be. So he can leap and he can live in the woods like a wild thing and then at some point he gets feathers. Yeah. And then he has the same fears that a bird would have. He mentioned, you know, this is mentioned by not just him in the in the poem in the story, but others that he he flees like a bird. He he can't. He avoids noise. He avoids bright lights, uh, noisiness, um, hum, human activity like a bird. That's fascinating. Really, there's a really profound juxtaposition, isn't there, between what it takes to be part of society or to be with people and what for somebody like Sweeney, what was involved in him being true to his nature. Yes. And there's sort of an impossibility, isn't there? There is. And he's yearning for human companionship uh, all the time. And at various times he, he moves back to within range of, of people to speak with them and to converse with them and colloquy with them. Um, and yet he can't be with them. Now, the, the longest time he spent with anyone was, was a year with a man called Alan, who was also similarly afflicted. And he, had, uh, he was over in Britain. So when Sweeney uh, went over to Scotland, which the western part of Scotland was, had been part of his, his kingdom of Dalriada, but he moved further south, uh, right down into Britain and he met this other mad man and um, they got on together and they spent the year together living together talking and he finds out his name is Alan and he was uh, a high rank like Sweeney a high rank um, leader uh, and a a great battle happened and the noise and tumult of the battle uh, drove him out of his wits and he he had to leave uh, humanity and like Sweeney he knows how he's going to die and more or less when. And at a certain stage, he says to Sweeney, right, it's time, I have to go. Uh, and he brings him to this great waterfall, um, a named waterfall, and goes there. And he said, I, when I go here, I'll be blown off the top by a, by a gust of wind and I drown in the waterfall. And that's what happens. Wow, there's a lot in that. Ooh. So the first thing that strikes me is that from a modern day perspective, these are two men who've been driven mad by the battle. Yeah. Which is what we would now call PTSD, probably. We would, yeah. And at times when Sweeney is brought back through the agency of his family and friends and loved ones, and he, he regains uh, his sanity, for want of a better word, he loses it again when noises happen, when, when a hunt, uh, like, you know, at one stage he's nearly going to step out and back with them when he hears a, a hunt going on just through the woods and he flees again. Yeah. So the noise re-triggers him, is what yes. we would, I think, say now. Yeah. 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 And for some, there's a sense there, really, that in order to stay within the confines of the family and the society, he would have to be less sensitive. Yeah. He, you know, that's what I'm thinking when I think of Alan and Sweeney. So they would have to somehow be numb to what was required to survive a battle, to be at a hunt, Exactly. To be part of this new dispensation, the new the new religion as well, requires a lot of uh, self-abnegation and control of, of emotions and feelings. Mm. And, and maybe that was part of his resistance or his symbolic resistance to uh, the new religion, the new order. Yeah, and it's, it's a big tangent maybe, but it does make me think about World War I in particular because I had a grandfather who fought in World War I and 
how anybody could have come out of it without PTSD. The only people who must have been able to come out of those kind of horrific experiences must have been unusually numbed. Yeah, true. Because it's beyond the normal realm of human experience to be in the middle of that. So it's entirely appropriate to have post-traumatic stress reaction to it. So maybe Sweeney and Alan just weren't able to numb themselves sufficiently. Yeah. And maybe that's also why his his poetry survives, his speech, the, the poems he writes, the lays he writes within this story. He didn't have, did he have poetry before? Or did he get poetry from being exiled? <laughs> that's interesting. Mm. I suppose he must have had some form of poetry before because they did, but mm, that'd be nice to think that he just discovered poetry in his wildness. I think it might be true. It feels like it might be true. Sure, what else would you be doing if you're sitting, <laughs> sitting in the trees <laughs> lamenting your wife who you can't actually stay with, but... And I think it's telling, as we kind of touched on earlier, that this story is set at a time where society is changing dramatically. It's the, these are the origins of the society that we now live in. Absolutely. The, the, the new order is coming in. The old order is not exactly dying, but changing. Um, the old beliefs are going to slide under the new beliefs to be covered by a, a veneer, sometimes thin, sometimes thicker, uh, of, of, the, of the new religion. One of the interesting things then when is uh, to consider is that also Sweeney um, came from the the landed the the powerful class the upper the upper echelon of society. This is not a, a rebel who is coming from the bottom up. He's someone who had all the power. He had he had the kingship of a of a good a good king a kingdom. He had a, he had power. He had wealth. He, uh, he had great standing. He was handsome. He was strong, and much admired and then he his fall from grace then so he's the person who's competing or rebelling or resisting this this new order which is an interesting symbol as well this whole thing is full of 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 symbolism some of which we we don't even get Mm. these days because it was created for people so long ago so he had a lot to lose he wasn't just somebody you know flinging pebbles at uh, the incoming order he actually had status and he lost it and he was driven away from his standing and his family yeah. and his uh, wealth yes yeah. he had he had it all he had it all and uh, there's also something in it for me about how this as we've said is a story told by the victors in essence you know it's the victors to get to tell the tale and looking f- from outside of Sweeney's life in at him is there a way that by describing him as a bird you get to put him down you get to diminish him. You know, he's a bird brain or he's just flighty. Yeah, exactly. He's it's a not wild a, thing with it, nothing. Yeah, and at a time when status was, was everything and face was everything in that society, he had nothing. And birds, while, while beautiful, are generally not seen to be particularly potent. They're not seen as powerful and they can be, you know, well, certainly within English, you can use it to put somebody down. Yes, yeah. Flighty, bird brained. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wonder if part of the analysis of him is based on how to keep him small, how to keep him yeah. irrelevant. Yes. Yeah. Sweeney also knows how he's going to die, uh, because that's part of the curse that Ronan lays upon him, the cleric Ronan, uh, that he will die by a spear because it was Sweeney's spear that killed 
Ronan's um, men and broke the bell. I, Ronan was more upset by the bell, the damaged bell, I think, than his his uh, his acolytes. But but uh, he condemns him to die at the point of a spear, which he later does. So he knows he lives with his death alongside him. Yes, he goes to modern day Carlo and he finds the monastery of of Saint Molling, um, who is a much more gentle, um, more uh, reasonable kind of person, more Christian person, and he feels sorry for this poor creature uh, and helps him. But um, obviously, he's still living. He's living in the trees and so on. But he's living out in in a thorn tree just beside the uh, the cell of the of the monk. But the the monk Molling uh, instructs his um, herdsman, the, the wife of one of his herdsmen, to feed him, to give him some food. Uh, morning and evening so he won't come into the house to to eat so she goes out to where the the cows come in to be milked and each morning and evening she digs her heel into the cow dung and spins it round to make a deep uh, bowl shape and she pours the fresh milk into that and then when she goes away he comes out and laps it up but the prediction that's amazing i'm trying to visualize that <laughs> I know. there's something really beautiful about the feeding of the bird you know i think of people going out and scattering crumbs yes. and i'm thinking of my own hens and going out and giving them water and it's yeah. often pretty muddy yeah but there's something very bird-like about that creating just a little well there is for him to drink from it's also quite a it's a very caring thing to do with mm. your own foot you know to dig your own foot into the into the cow dung and and turn it to make to make that bowl for him to allow him to have a good a good sup of milk it's almost there's something in it about there's a there's a healing image in there for me about how he can't be with people but that this woman's kindness and sort of very maybe do i mean fecund act but kind of like earthy act can actually nourish him yes so that's a way in which he can be nourished by human contact but it has to be this kind of earthy dungy yeah. Process with the feet. He can't take a cup. He can't take a knife. Yeah. He can't go and sit in the hall and eat, but he can be nourished by this very earthy offering. Yeah. And the prediction from, from Ronan was that he would die by at the point of a spear. And what happens here then is that um, the the wife, the herdsman's wife, whose name was Mirgil, uh, or bright, bright Mary in a way is, is what it is. Uh, she's giving him this milk, but her husband becomes very jealous. And there's another woman who's whispering to the husband that um, she's given more attention to this mad fella. And she she even implies that they've been together in the bush. So he's enraged and he grabs a spear. And while Sweeney is down uh, on his on, on his hunkers lapping up the milk, he he throws the spear at him and it pierces right through him. And uh, immediately mauling. The saint, uh, the monk there, runs out and cradling him, um, holds him as Sweeney passes on. That's both beautiful and dreadful. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's so dreadful that he was just coming close and taking some nourishment from another person. I know. And that, that exposed him to the anger and violence of the husband. In a way, it's a, it's a perfect end to this incredible story. Because I think of it, I'm thinking of a bird kind of hesitantly trying to figure out if something is safe. You know, the way they kind of come in and then they yes. go out and then their yeah. heads go up and they go in and then they go out. And he had learned that this was safe, that he could take the milk. And then that herdsman throws a spear at him. Yeah. Sad and beautiful. Yeah. Maybe just sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a beauty in it too, as in, as in the whole story. Yeah.
One of the beautiful things about this story is here we are well over a thousand years later marvelling in it, talking about it, exulting in it. So in a way, Sweeney is, is like the, the thrush or the blackbird up on the, the hedge singing so beautifully that he moves us. So all these years later, the rest are forgotten. But Sweeney is still singing loudly and beautifully. And somehow that connects to his wildness and to his poetry. Yeah. And to his sensitivity. And that's what's endured. Yes. That's a really, really lovely way to leave it, I think, Paul. To think of him as a bird on a hedgerow singing his song. And I don't feel like I understand it. But maybe that would be too simple. It needs it needs a little bit more sitting with, doesn't it? Oh, it does, yeah. It's quite the story. Yeah. But it certainly touches something in me, this story of this man who becomes a bird and goes to live in the woods and whose song has endured. Into the Mythic is made possible by the generous support of Wild Goose Studios, a family-owned craft studio based in Kinsale, County Cork.